0: Back here with On Texas Football, I am Trey Elling, joined by Joe Cook of Inside Texas. Pretty much does everything under the sun at InsideTexas.com, On3.com as well, of course. Joe, you, as always, had a chance to take part in today's press conference with Steve Sarkisian. going to talk about some of what Coach Sark had to say, and it really doesn't take a whole lot this being Texas OU Week.
1: No, not at all. And let me just say it's it's good to be talking to you on Mondays again. And we went, went a little brief interruption where it seemed like uh before then we basically chatted every Monday for five years in a row. So glad we're doing that again. But yeah, you, you said it right. Like this this there's so much excitement because of this week, not just because Texas is coming in with a win and also has a lot to play for under for for Steve Sarkeesian for Big 12 play. But of course, yeah, it's a Red River shootout. And, uh, you know, I think you ask anybody over at Inside Texas, basically anybody who covers uh, the Texas Longhorns, and I bet this holds true for the Oklahoma Sooners as well, it doesn't even feel like work this week. And it never feels like work on Saturday. Like this is the type of – this is the time of year and the type of week that anybody who does what we does gets into this industry to cover these high-profile – even if the teams are kind of stumbling in 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 some form or fashion, cover these high-profile college rivalry games. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think one of the points that, you know, we talked about off-air that you want to get into is just about how, hey, it's been a while for Texas, and there doesn't need to be much more motivation other than that hat hadn't been in the building for a long time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's not often that this game happens with neither team ranked, but that is the case right now. However, the trajectories are much different. Oklahoma, of course, starting 0-2 in conference, a tough, let's call it a humiliating loss to TCU last weekend. Whereas the Longhorns were able to get back on track in a really nice fashion, looking great in all three facets of the game. And Steve Sarkeesian, in his opening comments today, decided to give credit to the defense first. And you know what? I was good with that because the defense really showed up to play on Saturday so it was good to see the the head ball coach give them credit for that
1: yeah absolutely I'm with you there all three phases I think Texas was just significantly better in all three phases uh the last you know that that defense played strong pretty much the whole game and um it helps that JT San, or uh, JT Daniels couldn't really move around that much just because that's not his style uh you know completed or attempted 49 passes. It was like 5.27 yards per attempt. Uh, that defense played really well. And it was all three, you know, levels of it. Safeties played well, corners, linebackers, defensive linemen. Uh, it was really humming until you know, very end when they were starting to complete stuff over the middle. But to me, yeah, you don't want to do that. But at the same time, if you're gonna allow yards, you allow it in the middle of the field and instead of over on the sideline. So he was very uh offered a lot of praise to to those guys in the secondary um and you know deshaun jameson was there today speaking about how you know they feel like they've played really well the next step and even steve sarkeesian mentioned this as well is to finally just get their hand on the football they haven't done that in in several games haven't forced a turnover i don't think or, or record an interception Uh, had seven pass breakups when i checked the stats this morning but they want to get that turnover margin they want to turn that around and uh uh, start to get in that closer in Texas favor. And, you know, that, that's, that's the next step you get, you get in position to make the play. Now you got to make the play. And uh, there's, there's no better, you know, I could probably say this on literally everything we talk about, but there's no better time than, you know, hearing one side of the stadium get real loud, boom, something happens and the other side of the stadium's loud all of a sudden and turnovers do that. Uh, that's what happens at, at Texas OU. And uh, they're, they're trying to get there. Um, that, that's probably going to be something they work on even more this week, uh, especially given given the questions at OU's quarterback situation. But that's 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 the next step. That's the one thing that was missing from these last two games. Only cost them one. The other one, it cost them by three points. Uh, so next step for that defense. You're in position. Start making a little bit more plays. Yeah,
0: Steve Sarkeesian said they're explaining to the guys who are on the roster right now but weren't a part of this game last year or haven't been in years past. It's going to feel like a home game for half the field. Other half of the field, it's going to feel like a road game. Let's try and figure out a way to make it a home game on one half, and the other half is just weirdly quiet, like a sparsely attended Kansas Jayhawks game. In a year where the Jayhawks, of course, aren't very good.
1: Yeah, and he even mentioned that that last year. I, once he mentioned it, it just came back to my head like immediately. That drive where they were backed up deep into the OU uh, part of the stadium. And it just went three and out pretty quickly. And I think when they shanked the punt too. Uh, it was almost blocked, even, I think, Cameron Dicker. And it just, he talked about how they, they lost their composure, or their poise in that area. And that's what this game can do. It, yeah, it's a 90 something thousand person stadium. I think they fill it up to 100, but it's 50 50. And you got a lot, it's also fully enclosed. So uh, noise travels down pretty well. It has a few overhangs to bounce off of. And of course, if you're at that game, you're not there to you know sit sit back and and just relax. You're you're there because you're into it and you want to to make your your voice heard. So you know, a side of fifty thousand has as much engagement as a side of you know maybe even more, um, especially in that heated environment. It's going to be about you know being able to overcome going from the boos to the cheers or going going from the cheers to the boos and. Uh, making sure that they're they're still able to operate uh, as well as they normally have, no matter where they are in inside the Cotton Bowl.
0: Yeah, it's so important to stay focused on that goal. And this goes beyond this game. But Steve Sarkeesian's teams over the last couple of years now have had a hard time of keeping the foot on the gas. They have I – won't, I won't say get too passive at times. Maybe it's being a little bit too aggressive at times and throwing the ball down the field when you just need to figure out a way to chew clock and move the chains – but last year, uh, they did just get into their own heads. And that has happened far too often through these first two season, uh, uh, years of the Steve Sarkeesian era. And now it's time for them to prove that they have the ability to build a lead in the first half and maintain that lead to the second half. This is a great opportunity to do so, not just because it's the rivalry game, but because this is an OU team that is reeling right now, Joe. We knew this would be a bit of a rebuild year for Brent Venables and his staff there. But they are. didn't.
1: Of- they didn't. They didn't seem to think that we we knew it'd be a rebuild, but they were in denial the whole time.
0: Yeah, they they were a scorned lover. The uh, the OU fans. They were a scorned lover who thought that uh, that next bow was uh, just going to bring them back to the mountaintop. But you can't suffer that much roster attrition and just expect to bounce back and, and stay on the level that they've been operating at for two decades now and winning a lot more Big Twelve championships than not. Obviously, with Gabriel possibly not even playing in this game now, that turns it into a much bigger question mark. The guy that they have, uh, the guy that they had in the game at first last Saturday, he has no business being a Division One quarterback, much less on the Oklahoma Sooners roster. I just hope for the sake of the name that General Booty gets some playing time on Saturday. But this is an Oklahoma team that is struggling on offense, and they're really struggling on defense, which is something that Sooners fans. Should be very concerned about because that is Brent Venable's bread and butter. The front six was okay on Saturday. That secondary was Swiss cheese, maybe as bad as we've seen in the last five years. And we've seen some bad Sooner secondaries over the last half decade or so.
1: Yeah. And it was just guys out of position um, and guys in position, just not really making much of a difference. you know, I I watched some highlights, you know, those, it's that Mr. Go Fast or, or Coach 30, the guy who basically berates all the different players on Twitter. Um, it's always pretty good, but, you know, you, you kind of take a second to see what's going on. And it's, you know, you see all the problems. You see guys making wrong decisions, boom, touchdown over the top. You see guys kind of in the right area, at least in the secondary, and then they're just not making those plays. Uh, and it's just surprising, you know, with someone like Venable's, uh, to not granted. I've I've told you this hundreds of times. Um, I probably said it 10 times today. Even first years are never easy. You know, look at the first years, uh, Texas has had in this past decade. Strong was six and six. Herman was six and six. Sarkeesian was five and seven pre bull game. Of course, they're not easy because you're getting rid of guys and you're bringing in new systems, which holds true for Oklahoma bringing in mostly new coaches, bringing in a lot of new players, losing players. And there was just this estimation that by Oklahoma fans that, oh, all this program does is just hand the keys over. And that's that's true. All this program does is hand the keys over. And this is Bob's guy, and it's all going to work the same. No, this looks like a transition like the three Texas made this past decade, um, and it's kind of starting to hit home now. Then you couple in the fact that, uh, you know, we can kind of get into quarterback now for both teams. Texas, you know, that that reported window of, you know, four to six weeks for for Quinn Ewers coming back, it it opens this week. Here, here is week four. Uh, so that could be a, a possibility. Hudson Card still playing good football, played a great game. His best game, obviously, is a Longhorn against West Virginia. Uh, but you go on the other side, who knows if Dylan Gabriel is going to play let alone practice this week, and yeah, if it gets to that backup quarterback, remember that was a that was more of like a depth building thing because they lost Spencer Rattler, they lose Caleb Williams. Um, I, I don't know what happened to the rest of that quarterback room, uh, but you know they they tried to get Jackson Dart. Uh, Jackson Dart ends up going to Ole Miss, and they're kind of just left looking like okay, we we need somebody. So they flip Dylan Gabriel from UCLA, Jeff Levy reunites with him. Uh they add Kenny Pickett's backup from Pitt because they had a sense that man Dylan Gabriel's kind of small, you know, we we need to have some numbers there and they had a general booty uh from I think Tyler Junior College. Um so I mean granted, they needed to add those numbers, but those aren't like bringing in difference makers. Uh as good as Gabriel is in that offense. But the other two, those aren't, that's having bodies to make sure that if a bomb goes off, you have someone there to replace them. And that's exactly kind of what this new guy is. Um, You look at his stats. I think uh, Dylan Gabriel was seven of 16 for like 120 something yards. And the, I I don't even know the other guy's name at this point. It keeps slipping over my head. Uh, Seven of 16 for like 43 yards. So they're the OU quarterback situation, uh, not, not very good right now. Um, like you said, they're, they're breaking in a new system. Jeff Levy has no overseer, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball for the first time in his career, and they're making some kind of rookie mistakes. Meanwhile, like I said, you either have a Texas team that could see Quinn Ewers come back, or you have a Texas team with uh, Hudson Card, who has made the room as healthiest as it's been in a while. At this point, playing his best football, so Texas feels they they have to feel confident. They can't be overconfident, uh, and I don't think they will be because it's it's Oklahoma. You know, this game's always going to be big, no matter what the record is, no matter who's ranked. But they should feel good about their ability to possibly move the ball down the field, even on this cast of Oklahoma characters, with including the coach who is a defensive guy. But it doesn't seem to be playing out that way.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the Texas quarterback room. Steve Sarkeesian was asked about that today. He said that the quarterback room is as healthy as it has been all season. Of course, Pete Thamel reported heading into last weekend's games that Quinn Ewers was expected to be ready to play once again against Oklahoma. We are at OU week now. So assuming that Quinn Ewers is available, ready to play, back to 100%, Hudson Card has really shown you some things over the last several games now this is not as easy a decision for Steve Sarkisian of putting the starter back into play, as he said today in answering that question about the quarterback room and who he goes with or how he de- decides to make that decision. He's going to go with the guy that gives them the best chance of win to win. My question for you, Joe, is which of those two guys gives Texas the best chance to win on Saturday?
1: Personally, I think it's the guy who he chose to to be the starting quarterback before the season. Um, I know Hudson Card has played really well. Um, he, he played the best of his ability against Texas tech played really well against West Virginia and is improving. That's a much different Hudson card this year than what we saw last year. But what we saw from Quinn Ewers and and that glimpse and what we saw at least was enough for me to think, okay, this is the guy, what Steve Sarkeesian saw every day in practice and in three scrimmages and training camp, uh, led him to believe that he was the guy and I'm of that opinion too.
0: To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
1: The the Texas interior offensive line has, has not done great running the ball. They they've I think the whole line, and a little bit surprisingly, has pass protected really well. And that includes having two true freshmen on the line of scrimmage. But for some one reason or another, the interior run game has been a struggle. Um, and that's uh, there are a wide variety of reasons and, and details that go into that. One of the easiest ways to alleviate pressure from them is have a guy that you feel really confident in his deep passing ability. Now Hudson Card's gotten a lot better, but if you look at some of the plays, you know the few plays Hudson didn't make are those intermediate to deep throws. Uh, that may be searching for for nits to pick, uh, but with the type of game he had, that's kind of all you can do. Quinn Ewers was hitting those deep throws against Alabama, uh, eventually did after that one pick against uh, ULM. Um, And I think if you're able to do that, it it opens up everything. Steve Sarkeesian said he can make all the throws. And again, it's not, you know, with, with Quinn, remember it's his left side. So I'd have to think that at this point, it's about, a of course minimizing re-injury risk. It's going to be tender all year. You know that's just how how injury works. And yeah, how injuries work. So it's about minimizing re-injury risk and making sure that you know he's healthy enough and in the right mental mindset to to go out there and still do what he needed to do with that right arm of his. And I think if he's able to do it, I, I think you put number three out there. But it it can't it, it can't and does not hurt that number 1 has has played some of his, his best football and you know with the way Oklahoma looks maybe I'm this is getting too overconfident but you get, you may be able to win with him especially with the way uh, you know uh, the the situation surrounding Dylan Gabriel the rest of that offense and just the entire Oklahoma team that you know after two getting after starting 3 and 0 against some pretty uh, opponents in UTEP Kent State and and Nebraska they haven't looked good against teams that have actual pulses like K-State, who probably is every, was everybody's dark horse c- conference title contender. Uh, and then TCU, who I don't think anybody really expected to be ranked for 4-0 or this strong at this early point in uh, Sonny Dykes' tenure, especially with Max Duggan playing quarterback too.
0: Yeah, poor man Sam Ellinger up in Fort Worth. And, boy, Adrian Martinez returning to that freshman form. It's looking more and more – Like Scott Frost has that quarterback screamer quality about him where he takes guys who are decently talented and somehow figures out a way to make them worse. They are a force to be reckoned with up in Manhattan. And I got to say, ultimately, I trust whatever decision Steve Sarkeesian makes. If I were him, though, and this may not be a popular opinion amongst Longhorn fans right now, I'm probably going with Hudson Card this week. I think that he's in a rhythm right now. He does give you the best chance to win in a game where a few fluky things happen and really swings the course of the game. This being a rivalry game, obviously, we've seen it on the Texas side, where Texas goes into a game where nobody gives them a chance. The Case McCoy game from a decade-plus ago now is one example. I think there was a Tyrone Swoops or a Gerard Hurd game uh, even more recently than that. It's one of those things where you don't want to break a guy back into action in a game that already has a very weird feel to it, being at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, at the State Fair surrounding it, and every, and all the other pageantry going on uh, that happens each year for Texas OU.
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's that's why it's a tough thing. But hey, he didn't tip his hand that much uh, in, in his no. press conference today, and that gives us a you know that gives us a coin to flip and see what side we fall on. So I, I, I get that. But I think the overall point, too, and I think you would agree with me, is that both those guys are playing – or, you know, it's been a while since Quinn played football. Hudson Card's playing good enough football for this to even be a question that we're kind of considering at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It felt like once the job was given to Quinn Ewers that Hudson Card would be ready to go if and when he received that opportunity. There were a little bit of jitters, I think, uh, in that very earliest action versus Alabama. He was a decent game manager in that game, and he's continued – to get better and better each game since then. The Texas Tech loss was certainly not on him. He was obviously good versus UTSA. And this last weekend, uh, he looked really good, arguably his best performance as a Longhorn. One of his weapons on offense, a guy that everybody expected to do good things at some point in his time in Austin, is JT Sanders, the talented tight end, former five-star recruit. Steve Sarkeesian talks about him today. Obviously, the catch-and-run talent is there. Everybody knew that he is a very good wide receiver. Cesar Keeshan gave him a lot of credit, though, for putting the work in to become a more complete player at that position. That includes blocking. And we've seen him do a good job of downfield blocking this season, Joe. Also inline blocking at times as well. And then another thing that maybe took me by a little bit of surprise is that JT Sanders, even though he's a true sophomore, has become one of the vocal leaders on the team this year.
1: Yeah, we, we've in, in recent discussions about JT Sanders, the the story goes like this, you know, plays wide receiver in his senior year at Denton Ryan. I, I think a lot of people wanted him to be an edge rusher, but that was what he did mostly his sophomore year. Then his junior year, he gets more and more offensive snaps. Then his senior year, he probably gets to about 80-20 receiver versus defensive guy. So he's a guy who wants to play offense. Then you go to Steve Sarkeesian, an offensive head coach. And he's like, yeah, I want that guy. Uh plays a lot of receiver, no tight end at, at Denton Ryan. Uh, so he shows up, but, you know, he's a 220-pound guy who's got the frame to be 250, even more than that maybe. Uh, but he had never blocked. He never put his finger in the ground and, and, and blocked a defensive end. Um, so for all that receiver ability that he had, he had to learn the ins and outs of the position. I remember very clearly that first day of fall practice last year, you know, I'm going to watching the tight ends. And you see Cade Brewer and you, you see Jared Wiley, you see Juan Davis, but the five star is, is last in line. And he's over by, the, and then after that, he's not doing team drills. He's over by on the side with Jeff Banks, figuring out like, you know, some basic blocking fundamentals because, you know, he didn't enroll early and didn't have the time to go through anything with pads in the team. So to go from there in, you know, August of 2021. Where he's learning how to block for, for the most part to now where that is a guy who can move people off the ball, open up new gaps in the run game, uh, be a menace to defensive backs in the in the defensive backfield, walking downfield. Oh, and by the way, get, catch you know two touchdowns for seventy yards, uh, and, and you know be a, a, a difference maker in the receiving game at the tight end position. It A, well, the five star status was right, but B, it shows all the hard work that he has put in. Um, and I think, you know, team members of the team respect that. They see someone who went from not playing at all, except on special teams, to, you know, being the the frontline guy. And they respect that. And you know, he did that, he did similar leadership stuff at Denton Ryan. Um, and I think he's he's stepping into that role now and you know, when you're a starter and making – moving those guys off the ball, it, it shows. And uh, he's been one of the best stories of the year so far for, for the Longhorns on offense. And, an, again, another sign of development from a program that, you know, even though that guy's a five-star, has failed to develop a lot of those high-end talents in recent years. And, boom, right there in year one, uh, not more than, you know, being 15 months or so in Austin – They have a great example right there in Jatavian Sanders.
0: I think there are a lot of reasons for optimism with the direction that Steve Sarkisian has this program going in. One of those reasons for optimism, though, is the number of five-star guys who seem to be putting the work in as much as anybody else. JT Sanders, one example. Bijan Robinson, obviously the best example right now. Kelvin Banks has been receiving glowing reviews going back to when he first got on campus uh, prior to fall practice he is one of the hardest working guys in that offensive line room despite the fact that he is maybe the highlight uh, most highly touted guy as an offensive lineman on the roster right now so to get the five stars to buy in it makes it a whole lot easier to get everybody else to do so as well
1: yeah absolutely given the playing time helps too it's it, it, but <laughs> kelvin good. banks earned that from Uh, not only his own ability, but also need, but he's, he's been great. You know, I, I, he, he's probably putting together uh, a a first team, all conference caliber season, whether he'll get that. I haven't seen how line play has gone too much in other areas of the league, but I mean, it, it looks good from, from what I'm watching, when I'm watching him play.
0: Yeah, most definitely. He had a couple of mistakes early on uh, in the game on Saturday, but he leveled out and I think he played a great rest of the game when it was all said and done. I wanted to ask you a question specific to your Texas OU experience show, but first though, is there anything else that we haven't covered with today's press or that you wanted to make sure to talk about?
1: Um I, I think we we already discussed till and Gabriel a little bit. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning uh, you know, that a CJ Donaldson flew back uh, the the running back for West Virginia that uh, was injured, um, knocked out, I believe. I think he took a knee to the side of the helmet. I didn't really watch for many replays, but I didn't see anything neck related. It just looked like knee to the the side of the helmet. And uh, knees are, you know, they're pretty tough bones. That's why in MMA, those are pretty much knockout blows pretty quick, even with a helmet. Um, And I think the scary part of that was how long he was down on the field. I think part of the reason why they did that, I don't know if the cameras caught this, they took his whole pads and helmet off. Um, and I guess when you're, you know, on the on the turf, and you know they're trying to keep you immobilized, that's a tough process. That's why they kept them on the turf that long. I feel like, but got a good uh, report from Steve Sarkeesian said it was a severe concussion. Uh, but boom, that happened in front of Steve Sarkeesian. Then one of Steve Sarkeesian's former, you know, one of the best players who he ever coached, Tua Tagovailoa, has has his thing again. Um, so in line of that, Steve Sarkeesian said that, Hey, it, and of course he even mentioned the Dylan Gabriel aspect. He, you know, got targeted and had his, uh, had hit the turf really hard and knocked him out of that game. Uh, so it was, it was, I think a good thing that Steve Sarkeesian obviously was asked that I forgot who specifically did, uh, but, but took the time to, you know, mention, Hey, our, our sport is beautiful, but our sport is violent. Um, he also said that know, as a coach and as competitors, I want my kid out there playing because I'd I'd like to win. My the the kid wants out there; he wants to play because he wants to play. But Steve Sarkeesian was very sure to mention that, like I, if if the medical staff supersedes me, if they say he can't go, I listen to that. I move on to the next thing. And uh, with Tua, with Donaldson, with with um, uh, Dylan Gabriel, I thought it was. Uh, you know, a good time to say what he, what he should have said. And I think what he put very, very elegantly and was accurate with it too.
0: Yeah. We've seen uh, the egregious example over the last week and a half now of how not to handle head injuries, where the dolphins were pretty much lying to our faces about what happened to two of that first time around, even though everybody could see, just use your eyeballs to see if a guy had suffered a head injury. Clearly he <laughs> had, he was able to come back in that game and they were able to win that game. So I guess No harm, no foul there in that moment. But unfortunately, four days later, it turned catastrophic. And hopefully the Dolphins will figure out how to handle that correctly going forward. And you're very glad to see things being handled correctly at the college level, at least with those two instances that you cited there. All right, before we get to this last question, I did want to remind people who are watching right now, you're watching the On Texas Football channel on YouTube. Perhaps you haven't subscribed just yet. Well, now's the time to do so go to that subscribe button. It's there on the side there. Yeah, just go ahead and click that right there right now. It's that simple. doesn't mean you have to watch every video necessarily, but you have the option and it makes it easier for you to do so as well. Click that subscribe button. As I asked Joe, Joe Cook, this is not your first rodeo in terms of covering Texas OU. You've covered a number of these now. I've attended this game a lot in my life as well. I'm actually taking my eight and six year old there for the first time. It's a weird year to take them there because I don't think it's going to have near the hostility that it normally does. Maybe that's for the best when you're talking about young kids. I know what we'll be doing on Saturday. What does your pre-Texas OU routine look like as somebody who needs to be in the press box in a timely manner to be ready to cover the game itself?
1: I'm, I'm up at like 6.30, um, and I'm trying to get into the fair part before 8. And Even then, you know, if you go down Has- Haskell Avenue, okay, I don't know how to get very many places in Dallas but I know how to get to my friend's place um, who lives near Haskell Avenue. So let's see, take 35, you go through downtown, uh, that little place where every single freeway is one, then splits off and becomes 75. Yep. You take Haskell and then you just take Haskell to Fair Park. That's what I normally do. You run into traffic there. Um, I try to uh, basically get there before everybody else is there uh i don't want to miss a thing i don't want to be late for anything um and so i'm there by eight and and you know i've been going to this i think as a uh professional since since 2016 okay. um and honestly one of my favorite parts of this is the the pregame show for both bands um it's unique they they don't do that performance uh except for the oklahoma game but or, or if you're Oklahoma for the Texas game, uh, you know, they, that gets, you know, there are moments when one side cheers and one side boos uh, it, it's, they do the the wall to wall. They, they stop, they yell, beat the hell out of OU. Hey, that, that's, that's that, the, the, they get into, you know, shotgun Texas. The flag is there. I I that, that's the part that gives me just chills thinking about it. And then you get the football game you've been looking for right after. So I'm excited about that. The uh, the I don't know if you've been to the Cotton Bowl press box, but um, it's it's Spartan. uh, But the whole place is Spartan and no one cares. Like everybody's just so happy to to be there and to watch it. And the one thing that always uh, strikes me is I remember that. You know Bo uh when once he retired from Michigan, and I think he started working for ABC Sports. They asked him, you know, what, what, why are you doing this? He's like, well, I, or what game do you want to go to? He's like, I want to go to that one. You know, I'm, I'm usually working then. And this is someone who coached Michigan, Ohio State, which is you know it's one two, uh, in my opinion. You know that uh, Texas it goes Texas OU, Michigan, Ohio State, and then probably Army Navy as as my you know top three uh, rivalry games. And he goes and says, there's, there's nothing like this. It, It is, it is different. The 50, 50 split, uh, where it's at the two teams, you know, the cocktail party tries to do that, but that's in an NFL stadium now and they don't do it 50, 50, they do it long ways. And, uh, it's just, it's just not the exact same. So there, there's nothing like it. And, uh, can't wait to go there. And then once my day is done, there's a one beer stand right outside, uh, the the media exit and I, I make a beeline uh, for for that beer and sometimes it's in a, it's a melancholy one and sometimes it's a pretty pretty happy one that gets a gets my night going uh, once I'm uh, ready to go see some some friends and, and relive the day.
0: Are you grabbing a corn dog for breakfast on the way into the press box at least?
1: You know, I haven't in a few years, but okay. I'm gonna change that this year because there won't be as big a line this year. I mean, if I get there at set, I think what it opens at six, but if I get there at like seven, I- I'll I'll eat a corn dog for breakfast. They do normally feed us Rudy's upstairs, but I, I can uh, I can take some, I can get a corny dog and uh, you know try try to mix it up a little bit.
0: By the way, I have been into that press box and I was not credentialed. It was one time. I forget what year it was. It was five or six years ago, and I really had to go to the bathroom. The line to the bathroom was awful. The bathrooms there are another just terrible situation altogether, and I found a stairwell, and I went up the stairwell, and at the top of the stairwell was an entrance into the press box, which actually has a decent bathroom inside of it. Well, the person who was supposed to be standing watch at this doorway in the stairwell to the press box was not there because it was halftime. Walked right into the stair well, walked right into the press box saw Keith Moreland down the way gave him a wave I think he may have given like chip Brown or somebody else a wave as well went into the bathroom did my business went down to my seats and uh, rooted Texas on to victory later on so but to your point though it is uh, it's not the best press box ne- necessarily but it does get the job done
1: can't complain and uh, you know I'll I'll go there I don't know if I'd go there every game but uh, I the one a year is worth it. Exactly. He is Joe Cook. Check
0: him out at InsideTexas.com. Also, check him out with me now, starting uh, as of this Monday, every week, breaking down the Steve Sarkeesian press conference. Of course, he's on the On Texas Football channel all week long, sharing his opinions on things. That includes uh, at least a couple of live chats as well. Joe, thank you as always. I know you said this at the very beginning, but it is a pleasure to get to speak with you once again on Mondays.
1: Glad we got it back. Thanks, Trey. Much appreciated.
0: My pleasure. Again, subscribe on Texas football. Click that button there on the side. We will see you next Monday. In the meantime, hook them.